0: We're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So we're in the King Me series. Um, we're taking a look at the Israelites' request for a king and the journey through some of their kings. Last week, we talked about Saul, Israel's first king. This week, we're going to talk about David, and we're going to skip a rock across the story of David. We are not going to be able to accomplish everything in this beautiful 30 minutes that I have to understand fully everything about David. Let me tell you a little bit about David. He is the most frequently mentioned human in the Older Testament. There's a lot about David. He's the second most uh, uh, frequently mentioned human in the entire Bible. Uh, Adam talked about uh, the end of the story with the judges and how it kind of went into Ruth and, and, uh, and Boaz. He is the grand, great grandson of Ruth and Boaz. He had at least eight wives that we know of in Scripture. He was a great warrior and also a musician. And he was a man after God's own... Oh, you guys know about David. This is good. This will be so easy. So uh, as we catch up with David, we're going to just kind of skip a rock across a bunch of, uh, of his... Uh, this is done an exhaustive study of David, but I want us to get to the point of uh, what does it look like to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. What are some of the things that we're seeing in David that would show that? And what should we be looking for within ourselves to to kind of do a heart check for ourselves of how we're doing about being after God's heart? So we're gonna meet uh, David and when he first gets anointed by um, Samuel. Now Samuel was pretty disheartened from what had happened with Saul. Samuel was the prophet, and he's the one that called uh, God told uh, him to go get Saul. And things didn't work out. And in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, which is kind of, we'll be skipping through 1st and 2nd Samuel and Psalm 51, uh, but in chapter 15, God uh, takes away His uh, spirit, his, his blessing, and His anointing on Saul. And He tells Samuel, "Hey, we're going to try again. We're going to take another swing at this. This was a, a swing and a miss." And so here's where we uh, are going to meet uh, Samuel uh, or Saul. Excuse me. David. I have Samuel, Saul, David. David. Now, David, here's where we're going to meet David here. So join me uh, in uh, chapter 16, verse 1. There's David. There he, there's where we're on the timeline. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw uh, Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And so he sees this and he's like, yeah, surely. This is is the one, obviously, because Samuel can recognize that. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People will look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How do you feel about the fact that the Lord looks at your heart? How much time in your week, how much time in your adult in your life are you spending working on the inside of yourself versus working on the outside of yourself? Let's do some heart surgery today. I have experience. We're looking at a man after God's own heart. So how is my heart like David's or how is it not like David's? The Lord looks at our hearts and we should do the same. Verse eight. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had a Shaman pass by, and Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said, uh, said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, there's still the youngest. Jesse answered, he's, he's out tending sheep. Interesting. Tending sheep. You might hear in the future about a king and what a good shepherd does if you ever ever spending time in John chapter 10. But we see this future king out tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, and when he had, brought, uh, when he had him brought in, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. How many people in here want to fill the spirit of the Lord. How many people know that when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you received this thing called the Holy Spirit into your life? And I wonder how many times I ask myself this question, how many times am I consulting? Am I working with the spirit that God gave me? Or do I put him on the shelf? And am I, do I become wise in my own eyes? So I start looking for my glory and my purpose and my plans and my stuff, or am I about the plans that God has? See, David's a very unlikely king. I think we kind of see a pattern. He wasn't from the bloodline of Saul. He wasn't rich in class or social status. And he was the youngest son of a large family. Oh, they didn't even want to bring him in. They weren't like, I want to see all your sons because one of them is going to be king. Well, obviously it's not David. We don't even need to worry about him. And he parades the best and everything that you would think that would look kingly and stately and all these things that are coming across. And David's out doing what? Tending sheep. Everything in society and culture standards would have been against David being king, except for the fact that God chose him. So he gets chosen and he goes back to being a shepherd. The spirit had left Saul. Saul becomes distraught. It says like an evil spirit kind of replaced the spirit of God. And he becomes distraught and he has nightmares. He has all these things and he needs uh, music to calm his soul. And they're like, hey, I know a guy. And his name was David. And so David came in and he played music for Saul. And here's the problem. Here's Saul's problem. You can't be full of yourself and full of the Holy Spirit at the same time. There's not enough room. You can't be full of yourself and you can't be full of the Holy Spirit at the same time. God wants all of you. He wants you to be fully engaged, fully present, and fully directed by him. So David serves... Saul plays music to calm that paranoid spirit, and then we're going to run up about five or cert- five years later. You know what happens so fast in the Bible? You're just like bang bang, and then you like, forget that there was like oh five years. Well, what was David doing for five years? Well, he's play, He stayed with Saul. He's helping play music. But what was he doing before he got that? Oh, he went. He was anointed as king, and then he went back to being a shepherd, doing his job. Like this immediate gratification, like boom, here to here. That's not the way that we're overly seeing it in the text. God's been working with David for quite some time. So five or five-ish years or so later, we get to the story that many of you probably know about David. And this is a story about David and Goliath. Let's take a look at that picture of Ayla Valley. This is actually this, the place and the location to, farther to the left there uh, is where this story takes place. And it was interesting, when I was here in 2015, I got to walk across the dry stream bed that David might have pulled his stones from. And I got to climb up and scurry up the side of this hill to this place called Shaarim, a city of two gates. And they discovered some pretty cool things. And this was in the early 2000s. This was like the first time they actually discovered archaeological evidence that David even existed. Before we had the text, but now we have like archaeological evidence that he existed. And so this is the place. They didn't have those apartments in the back there. Um, those weren't built yet, I don't think. But this is where it actually happened, the story of David and Goliath. And so um, uh, David's dad says, hey, go check on your brothers. Go bring them some food. Let's go. You go, go serve the men folks up there who are doing the hard work, uh, you young, young boy, and go take this up there. And so David uh, strolls up to this place that this, uh, this battle is going to happen. And uh, he hears something that's going on, and so let's catch up with this. We're in First Samuel 17. We do verse 26. It says David asked the men standing near him, "What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God?" And before this, the armies of the living God are quaking in their boots. They're afraid. Why did we want a king again? Why did Israel want a king again from last week? Who will go out and fight our battles for us? And what's the king doing? King Saul is standing there taking the insults, and this Philistine is out there putting down the kingdom of God, putting down the God of Israel. David gets mocked for even being there. Like you're just a young boy. You know you can't do these things. So David said to Saul, hey, let no one lose heart on, our, uh, on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. All of these warriors, all of these experienced people are there. They're ready to go. They got their swords. They got their shields. They're, you know, and they're afraid of this giant Philistine. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he's been a warrior from his youth. He's going to smash you. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I wonder if this is part of what makes David a a man after God's own heart. Action, boldness, seeing things, seeing a right and trying to make it, uh, seeing a wrong and trying to make it right he just knows who God is. He's had these experiences and he's not going to sit here and play around. I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Why am I going to win? Because of my great power and my great expertise and all of these other things. And yes, I fought lions and, and bears and tigers and my, oh my. No. Uh, like, I'm going to get after these things, but like, here's why. Here's why the Philistine's going to lose. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. Not because David's so awesome, but because David knows that God is so awesome. And he says, the Lord who rescued me, like he has this relationship with the Lord. I don't know if you've ever fought any lions or tigers or bears, but you would really want the Lord involved. And so he already has this experience that the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion or from the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. So Saul's like, okay, cool, do it. Take my armor, take my stuff, and David tries to put on his armor and put on his stuff, and he tries to go, he's going to go out there and take care of this problem. But David's not in his own comfort zone when he does that. He's he's not like Saul. He's not even like Saul's armor. He's not even like Saul's sword. He's not even like. He knows who he is. He didn't have armor and a sword and all those things when he took care of the lion and the bear. He knows his identity—that he's a shepherd—and what does a shepherd have? A staff. And what is David known for? He can sling it. When you're spending hours, 12, 13, 14 hours a day out there as a young boy, I'm sure you get bored and it'd be fun to throw rocks at stuff. And throw rocks at your sheep. And so he, he takes his stuff, he knows his identity, and he grabs five smooth stones and he goes out there. So you have... David's tools and what he's built for, and you have Saul's armor and what Saul thought he was built for, but you got to operate in your own gift and talents. We are not, we don't all have the same gift and talents in here, this room. Thank goodness. What are the gifts that you have? Are you trying to pick up somebody else's armor and put it on in your life? Or are you trying to be who God has designed and called you to be? You don't have to be somebody else. David didn't need to be like he didn't need to be like Saul. He didn't shouldn't have been like Saul. Be you. Know your identity. Know your identity in Christ and know your identity in His kingdom. So David goes out and David said to the Philistine, "You come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you with my amazing slingshot ability. No, I come in against you in the name of the Lord Almighty." the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Very Christian. And uh, this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. You know why I'm going to do that? Because the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Who's getting the credit for this? God in Israel. So as you think about contrasting Saul and David and why they're doing the things that they're doing and what does it look like to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, you know. uh, Saul, what what do we find Saul doing? What's the beginning of Saul's story? He can't find his own donkeys. What's David doing? His job. He's tending sheep. Who are they fighting for? Well, Saul kind of tries to start off well, but he ends up fighting and worried about his name. And will his name be great and his family legacy? And who's David fighting for? The glory of God. So Saul tries to preserve his legacy, and David is concerned about the legacy of the Lord of Israel. So as we continue to skip a rock across the top of this thing, we're going to go from 1 Samuel chapter 18 to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and here's what happened. Go to this list I have here, maybe. All right, so Saul tries to kill David the first time. So he, uh, there's this, there's people were singing like, hey, Saul kills thousands, but David kills tens of thousands. And so Saul already has lost the spirit, becomes super evil, and he just spends all of his time instead of doing what he's supposed to be doing as king, chasing David all over the place, trying to kill David. He misses him with two spears. Uh, David's, uh, su- uh our Saul's son, Jonathan, is super close and really like David's clo- close, close, close friend. He tries to kill Jonathan, his own son. I mean, this guy is losing it and he's worried about his legacy. He continues to do that. Um, David destroys the Amalekites. Saul takes his own life, which divides the kingdom. This is all happening very fast as I'm skipping a rock across this. David is anointed king over Judah. And then there's a war between David's house and Saul's descendants, and Saul's sons get murdered. And then David gets to unite the two kingdoms, and he's the king over all of Israel. Uh, David conquers Jerusalem. David defeats the Philistines. There's an ark that's brought back to Jerusalem. David dances naked in the streets. So things are going pretty well. And I just recapped a huge section of Scripture so you guys can go and read that. But it's super fascinating as you're reading it. Like, this it's better than any movie you're going to see. This is like, this is Jerry Springer times 100. You're like, what is going on here? These guys are just wild. So things are going really well for David, so, so well that God makes a promise to David, and this is called the Davidic covenant. And here's some of the things that God promises to David. He says, uh, I will be with you wherever you go. I will make your name great. God says this to David. I will provide a place for my people, Israel. Time out. I've had some folks ask me, like, hey, you know, what is the church doing about Israel and the things that are going on in Israel? We're doing what Jesus asks us to do, hopefully. We're making disciples. We don't need to be the predictors of the end times. Like, you, how many people are grieved by what happened in Israel? It's awful. It's, it's animalistic. How many people are grieved by the loss of any innocent life? Like anywhere in the world. Like I have an expectation that Christians are praying for the things that ache the heart of God. Whether they're here, whether they're in Israel. And I love Israel. Like I really love Israel. Like I don't want... Them other groups to control Israel because I want to go there and look at stuff. I, I don't want it destroyed. I don't want this stuff wiped off. And if you, it's very There's very lots of biblical cool stuff to, to talk about with Israel and why it is the way it is and there's lots of paths that have been weaved. Like We're talking like current Israel and like ancient Israel and all these things but I have an expectation that every one of you who call yourselves Christians are praying for the things that are heavy on your heart that God allows you to see. So do I stand with Israel not as an American ally? Sure, okay. But that's not really what it's about. It's about God's plan and God's people, and I would expect us to be praying for all of God's people and all of the plans. So I just just to clarify the idea, I'm like, hey, what are we doing about Israel? We're making disciples in Moscow, Idaho. That's what, that's what I'm doing. Do they need me to go over there and fight? Probably not. Probably wouldn't even take me. And is that what I'm called to do? Or am I called to do what Jesus called me to do, which is to go out and make disciples? And so I just want you guys to know, like, it's heavy on my heart, it's sad, I don't want to have to make big public statements about every tragedy that happens, and that was a horrible thing, and I read article last night, and I'm in my bed, you know, almost in tears, crying. But God can handle the weight of the world, amen? Is God going to handle what's happening in Israel? What is your part? Do you have a special part in Israel or are we all like we're going over there? No, our part is to, is to do what God has asked us to do right here and not get distracted by these other things of the world. There's going to be some more bad news that comes. Guess what's going to happen next year? Something else horrible is going to happen in the world. You're going to get to see it through a GoPro. You're going to get to see high def. You're going to get to see all these things. And should you be looking for those things? Or should you be inviting that into your life? Or should you be thinking about what you could see right around you and God's people that He's putting in your life? So, I mean, that's just what I want to say about Israel. I will give you rest, I will set up your kingdom for all time through Him who will be my Son. I think that's a prophecy towards Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to be a heart that is after God? Well, here's a prayer. So David has all these successes, all these great things that are happening. He's on top of the world, in a sense. He's done all these great things. And here's David's heart. And in 2 Samuel 7, verse 18, here's what he says. Then King David went and sat before the Lord and said, and just picture this, picture like... This powerful king who is taking got Jerusalem, he's brought the ark, like he's done all these really cool things that I just fast forwarded over. And this is his reaction. This is his heart still. He went and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I? Sovereign Lord. And what is my family that you've brought me this far? And as if I were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You said these things about my future descendants. And this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for me just a a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord, you know me. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is, there is no one like you. And there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel? One nation on the earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make your name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord, Keep forever the promises you have made concerning your servant and, uh, and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Who's he focused on again? God's name will be great forever. That's why. And then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty God, Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you, so your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. You have uh, promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Do you see the backing up, the humility, the pointing to who it's about? David's awesome so far. He goes on and he defeats the Ammonites and he has this great 27-ish year run between David and Goliath and our final story that we're going to talk about today. So why do we have a king? Because he's going to go and fight our battles for us. And he's been fighting those battles. He defeats the Ammonites and he goes on and so... Uh, Now we're in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David and Bathsheba. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Where's the king supposed to be? Off to war. But he sends people to do that. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged uh, uh, Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And what happened? What's David doing in Jerusalem? He's overlooking the kingdom, and he sees Bathsheba. I mean, you know this other story about David and Bathsheba, right? This is like the godfather, right? He, like, sees something that he wants, and he takes it, which happens to be Uriah's wife, he takes, he takes her and then she gets pregnant and then he calls Uriah back because he knows he's in trouble and that's like, okay, how much, she's not supposed to be pregnant, he's off to war. And he calls Uriah back, Uriah is an honorable man and he won't sleep with his wife because his other men aren't sleeping with his wife, their wives. So he sleeps outside and then he goes back and he's like, hey, send him to the front of the lines where the, where the fighting is fiercest. So David sends him into the worst war zone to kill him. And then he gets confronted by a prophet named Nathan. How many people have ever watched The Veggie Tales? Some of you? This is the rubber ducky story. The rubber ducky story is this one guy has all these rubber duckies, and he has lots of rubber duckies, and he goes, and he, this guy over here only has one rubber ducky, and it's his favorite rubber ducky, and he takes that rubber ducky and puts it over here with his rubber duckies. And then he kills that guy. And so, anyway, Nathan's kind of retelling this rubber ducky story in Josh Gray's terms. And David gets mad. He's like, how could someone do that? That is ridiculous. That person should be put to death. And Nathan's like, that person is you, David. So what happens with sin in our lives? So Saul justifies he justifies his sin. He justifies his mistakes. What does David do? What's David's response to the fact that he... Did he know the Ten Commandments anyway? Would he have known that as a king? It seems like he would have known that there weren't ten suggestions. And he would know that it's not about... You're not supposed to, 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 to murder an in innocence. You're not supposed to have adultery. And he murders... He commits adultery, which leads to the next sin of murder. So the man after God's own heart is an adulterer and a murderer. And so this is his response when he's confronted. And this is Psalm 51 as we finish here. And when you read, when you read David's prayer, I just ask you, like, how, often, how often do we pray like this? My uh, Bathsheba moment in my life was when I admitted to my wife that I had been gambling away our resources, 2005. And some of you heard the story about it. I was you know, a pretty successful insurance guy, but we couldn't afford to pay our $800 a month rent because I had a gambling problem. And I had lied to my wife about it for, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine months, always late coming home from working, slash losing our money, missing time with our kids. When I had reached the bottom and was fully broken and sat in front of my wife, I had prayed really hard like this. I was at her mercy. She could see on my face, I don't know what words she heard coming out of my mouth, but she could see a broken human being who was asking for mercy and grace and love and a second chance. And I wonder in your lives. Where is this coming to your life? Where, have you, where would you feel Psalm 51 in your life? So let's read it together. Have mercy on me. Oh God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. I have blown it. Wash away all of my inequity. and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my inequities. I don't want, don't. As a little kid, you're like, don't see me, don't see me, don't see me. But God does see you. He sees when you've blown it. And he provides for his amazing sinners, a way out. He provides for David. doesn't mean the consequences go away, because if you keep reading the story, the consequences were stiff for what happened. But you're seeing the heart of David. David, create in me a pure heart. Fix me, Lord. Mold me. Oh, God, and renew the steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach in turn transgressors your ways so that the sinners will turn back to you. Use me, Lord. Use me in my mistakes. Use my mess-ups, and I want to be your servant, and I want to go and help people come back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. Oh, God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and open my mouth. My mouth will declare your praises. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not delight in pleasure or in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. We'll forget the next two. You, God, will not despise. What? Why is David a man after God's own heart? He's open to the relationship. And when he blows it, he comes back broken and contrite. He's not trying to justify things. How do you respond when being convicted of sin? Who is the Nathan in your life? Who have you allowed in your life that knows you well enough that can speak into your life and say, like, hey, that's not going to be good. Who would you allow into your life to help you and convict you of the things and move you closer to God? We should be looking for a Nathan. We should be consulting with the Holy Spirit. So do we justify our mistakes or are we being taught to be humble and repent? Both David and Saul failed I made mean, mistakes, big mistakes. You and I made big mistakes, but how we respond to our big mistakes tells us a lot about the heart that God has. Are you responding like David? or are you responding like Saul? David's story ends with him wanting to build a, uh, the house of the Lord, and God's like, "Now nah you, buddy. You're not going to get to do that. You don't get to build my house." But it will come through your lineage. See, when we try and substitute our heavenly king with an earthly king, it doesn't turn out well, does it? And so, this week, as we go to communion, if you missed it on your way in, Ron and uh, some of the folks will will get it for you. Raise your hand; they'll get you communion. But as we come to communion this week, where is your heart? Are you evaluating your heart? How are you doing with the Spirit of God? Is it a stranger to you? Or is it in your life? And what would be different about your life if you're moved the way that God wants to move you? If it starts being about His will being done and not our own will being done, what would our world look like probably look like the, the kingdom of God. And so he made a way back for us. We have examples of these prayers, but he made a way back for us through his son. He gave us the king. As we're going to see next week, that next king didn't work out. And they kept not working out. And God finally said, you know what? I've been giving you guys what you want. Now I'm going to give you what you need. And you need my son. My one and only son. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he broke it and given thanks, he, he broke it and said, this is my body. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember who our true king is. And the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And this is the cup of the new covenant. Make a new covenant with all of you that whoever drinks this, and this blood, and whoever, uh, when you do this and you drink it and you, you do it in remembrance to so me, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again, and he's coming again, amen? Lord, we proclaim you. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for King David. I thank you for the fact that you recorded things about King David. You give us hope. You showed us what it looks like, Father. To blow it huge, but to come back. To come back with a contrite heart. Lord, let us point to you. Anything that happens that's successful in our lives and in this church and in our careers and other things, that is your glory, Father God. We all get to be a servant of the God, the God most high. Lord, I ask that you do heart surgery this week. You do heart surgery of every person in this room that heard this message. And you help us to become more like a man or a woman who is after your heart and your purposes and your plans. And I say this in Jesus' powerful name, amen.